for me? Is that working okay? How about that? Better? I always feel like Janet Jackson on the, some kind of 90s pop tour when I put this thing on. It shows how old I am and that my wife listened to Janet Jackson. Okay, well, it's good to, ha- good to be here. Uh, it's a blessing to be here. Uh, my name is Jason Samples, as Steve just said. Uh, I'm an, uh, an elder at Parkland Chapel, all right, uh, kind of your uh, uh, brother in Christ and uh, down the road in Farmington. Um, also, get the blessing to serve on the board here for Arcadia Valley Chapel. So I get the blessing to stir- serve with Mike Mingy and with Steve uh, here for the church. And it's been one, it's just been a tremendous blessing uh, to get to uh, just a, a small part to get to help and to be in prayer and to, and to help and see this church grow. I, this building itself, it's just a, it's just a blessing. So Mike uh, is, uh, and Kelly are at a wedding, and so that's how come you got stuck with me today. All right, so all those things I told you, none of that was preacher, okay? Not preacher. So I, I, I am a preacher's kid, okay? And that's another reason this blesses me. My dad was a bivocational preacher, so he was always working 40-plus a week. He was actually working 40-plus a week farming, and then trying to be a bivocational preacher on the side of that too. A lot of small churches, uh, a lot of small towns, small, much smaller than this, honestly. Places you don't even probably think of as towns, but at one point they, they were, and my dad uh, was a preacher at a number of those. So just, just being here uh, is, a, is a huge blessing, but definitely, like I said, not a preacher. So what you're going to get today is not really going to be a sermon Okay, so bear with me. What I think it's going to try to be is this. It's going to try to be some stories, most important, some scripture, and then uh, right close second behind that is prayer. Prayer. That's really what this is a call to, is a call to prayer. So, uh, the Battle of Pilate Nob. I was really uh, praying when Mike asked me to do this. Um, I always love it when you get asked to, to talk, and you know, with Calvary Chapel, the blessing is expositional Bible teaching. So you know, if we're in Daniel, if you're in Daniel chapter 1, well, guess what Mike Mingy's going to teach on next week? Daniel chapter 2, right? But when Mike asks you to teach, you say, okay, what do I got, Daniel 4? No. Daniel 5? No. Something in here. Just anything you want out of this whole thing. Okay. So prayer was really on my heart, and it's really been on the heart of us at Parkland Chapel. And it was really on my heart, um, but how and how to articulate it. And with all that's going on this weekend, and when we drove in, we saw the reenactment uh, going on as we came in from from Farmington. And um, it got me thinking about, and the Holy Spirit uh, putting on my heart, the battle is won in prayer. The battle is won in prayer. So something I'd ask you to look at. What is your battle? We've all got one or more, probably many. And uh, if you're like me, you're probably going, what can I do to make this better? You know, uh, being on the board here, problem solver. Love being a problem solver. Love solving problems. Reality is, I solve no problems. Reality is, no disrespect to you, you solve no problems. No problems that have any, any true meaning unless the battle is won in prayer. So... That's what kind of this goes for, okay? All right, next slide. All right, so uh, as you guys probably know better than me, and I'm a history buff, I love, I love history, so if I mess something up on history, give me grace. That's in the Bible, isn't it, grace? 
but I love history, and I, we were talking at, at prayer meeting this morning. Um, one thing I do want to encourage you about, if this touches you, there's prayer meeting here every Sunday, 9 o'clock, is that right, Steve? 9.15, so you can even sleep 15 minutes later and come into prayer. They pray down in the basement. And uh, Charles Spurgeon said of his church, somebody came in and said, how does this wonderful church happen? One of the great pastors that has influenced our times today. And Charles Spurgeon said, let me show you. And he took them down to the basement. And in the basement, during the church service, was intercessory prayer going on. So if any of this touches you, and you feel led to be more active in prayer, come in and pray at 9.15. But one thing I think that we do right in our country, going back to the battle analogy, is we, if you go to a battlefield, for me, especially like these Civil War battlefields, uh, Wilson's Creek, uh, Pea Ridge in Arkansas, here at Fort Davidson, Gettysburg, if you've ever gotten that opportunity, we recognize the sacrifices of those, whether we agree or disagree with what they were fighting for. And I think that's one great thing our country has, is that you can disagree. I wish we could learn better to disagree without being disagreeable, right, with what's going on in our country right now. And this gives us kind of a harsh warning to that. But the, the, that, that we honor that, that we remember that. So here, uh, the, the, the Battle of Pilot Knob, September 27, 1864, uh, this... Uh, a monument reads, um, in September of 1864, Major General Sterling Price and, 12, men, and his 12,000-man army re-entered Missouri in a forlorn effort to regain the state for the Confederacy. On September 27th, they laid siege to, the fort, to Fort Davidson. The defenders, through, though greatly outnumbered, refused the initial assaults and escaped that evening. The effort was costly for the Confederate forces, however, and hundreds of them lie buried here. Known only to God, they made the supreme sacrifice for the principles in which they believed. A few Union soldiers are in, interred here also, and whatever transgressions uh, in, it, 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 that existed on either side, let the passage of time bury in the ruins of the past. But whatever was noble and honorable, it is our sacred duty to transmit to the succeeding generations. Let no man asperse the memory of our sacred dead. They were, they were patriots who died for the constitutional principles and liberties guaranteed them as Americans. Peace be unto their ashes and honor their spirit. In 1864, what you found is the Union at the beginning of the year was struggling, if you look at it historically. But they had, some, they had some major victories. Lee was getting cornered in Virginia by Grant. Sherman um, has taken over Atlanta. And, and suddenly it has shifted. The Democratic Party is going to have McClellan run for president. And he, part of his platform was going to be that we're going to get peace with the Confederacy. That shifted quickly for McClellan, though, as the Democrats realized, you know what, uh, we've got a good chance to win this war, and if we try to compromise, that's not going to be politically advantageous to us. But Lincoln is still perilous right now. Any big losses could really affect him in the election that's about to happen here in the fall of 1864. The Confederacy then has decided a couple things. One, we've got to hold on. If we hold on, we can possibly affect uh, this war by just our pure will of holding on. If we can get some successes in the West, we can, we can maybe 
put Lincoln in a bad way and get Lincoln not elected, and then we can win this war by getting a president for the Union that will support our, our ideals. All right? And when they look west, one of the best towns to capture is St. Louis, and one of the best states to capture is Missouri. So that's what kind of leads us to the battle of, Fort, of Pilot Knob or Fort Davidson. Okay, next slide. So in that battle, all right, I'm going to give you 10 verses, actually an 11th one, I'll give you one at the end. Uh, if you want to turn in your Bible, you can, but you don't have to. I'm going to read those. I always hate it when it's like Bible sword drill and I don't feel quick enough to get there for the pastor. So I'm going to read these to you, but what these are going to be, I'm going to give you the verse and I'm going to give you a prayer. A couple things that you might want to put down if you're a note taker, all right? Two things. One, write down this acronym, ACTS, ACTS, A-C-T-S, ACTS, A-C-T-S. If you are in prayer, personally, look for prayer that has A, adoration in it. If you listen to the beautiful worship we have from the tallies, most of those songs are calls to prayer. And if you look at those, you can probably label and go, that is adoration, Praising our great God. So if you go into battle, what strategies can you use? One, adoration. All right? Two, C, confession. That's another powerful tool in battle, confession. You're not going to get anywhere, and I'm as guilty and pride, I'm very guilty of this, about looking over my sins, but recognizing all the other things that could get fixed. Confession, pouring that out to God so I have righteousness, so I'm not impeding the Holy Spirit's work. I'm a usable tool. Confession. T, thanksgiving. Being thankful. Being thankful. No matter how difficult or challenging the circumstances, thankful. My wife, uh, Nikki, really touched me and convicted me with this. When we were talking about prayer, one thing that she came up through with prayer, she said, you know, I'm really finding that it's not just about, oh, that was a tough situation, but it's over now. Even if it was bad, it's over. This too shall pass. I'm thankful. Thank you, God, for being with me. No, deeper. God, I'm in the middle of this. This stinks. <laughs> I don't like it. You might as well be honest with God. He knows anyway. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful because I'm right where you want me to be. Whether I really feel that or not, it's still a truth, a scriptural truth, which we're going to see today. That is true thankfulness. And then lastly, S, supplication. Supplication. That's what I tend to go to right away. Asking God. Daddy, can I have? Daddy, can you get me? Dad, I need help. Dad, I want the supplications. And we have a good, good father that wants to hear us talk to him in supplication. So as we go through these scriptures, I'm going to give you ten scriptures that if you... And I stole these from Abra Joy, Abra Joy Online. She has a blog of prayer. Uh, these could be scriptures you could use in a prayer room. Put them in your Bible. Another powerful tool, all right, so you can use Acts as a model for prayer. Another powerful tool is to pray through Scripture. When I don't know anything else to pray for, if God puts a Scripture on my heart, I pray it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And, eventually, and through that, God takes me into what the whole... And some days, it's just that. I just pray. I got, I've got nothing else, God. I am completely empty. And thankfully, you're going to see as we go through, it's not about what we have. It's about what God has. So I'm going to give you 10 scriptures here, but you might mark on it. This is a scripture I could use for adoration. A, this is a scripture I could use for confession. This is a scripture I could use for thanksgiving. This is a scripture I could use for supplication as you go into battle. 
First one I would like you to look up, Ephesians 6.12, if you have your Bible. I'm going to ask you to look up the first and the last ones because I think those are particularly powerful. Ephesians 6.12. Whatever your battle is, all right, I gave you the backdrop of what's going on in 1864 when the Battle of Pilot Knob happens. All right? You have a backdrop. Whatever's going on, it doesn't matter, and I, and I don't know what that is, but I know this, and I know this because it's truth in Scripture. It's not about this world, it's about the spiritual world. Ephesians 6.12 tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So taking that and taking Abra Joy's prayer, which I, I, I beg, stole, borrowed here, she translates that, translates that prayer, and this is, this is not uh, a new NIV or any other version. This is Abra Joy version of Scripture. But she says there, I acknowledge my struggle is not against flesh and blood, God. The battle isn't about the physical issue I am facing in this world. It is against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of darkness which often we can't see unless we are with spiritual eyes, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is where I will do battle, and, and, I, and I will do it in prayer. So if you are willing to step in to battle and not just getting beat on or not just win your own victories that you think you can win with your own strength, which I'm just going to tell you, and I'm, like I said, I'm not a pastor. I'm just the guy that's getting called to do this while Mike's gone. So you can take it or leave it. But you're not going to be victorious in the end. It's not going to happen. All right? Eventually, you will get beat down. If you want true victory, at the end of Abra Joyce prayer, I will do it in prayer. That's where it will happen. Okay, next slide. So who's in charge? When you go into battle, you need to look for good leadership. Going back to the Battle of Pilot Knob example, General Sterling Price was in charge of the Confederacy. And I'm going to, I'm going to be honest here. I like General Price a little bit. I kind of lean towards him. Why? He's a Missouri guy. That's why. Uh, he was the governor of Missouri for a while. He's a war hero from the, in the Mexican War that happened in the 1840s. Has lots of experience. Um, he didn't want the, uh, Missouri to secede uh, to the Confederacy. He was against it. Um, uh, he, so you're thinking, how does he end up as a Confederate general? Well, the Union uh, uh, sympathizers came in, basically took over the government, if you look at it during this time, and said, this is how Missouri's going to go. And Price and his allies didn't have enough political clout to stop him, and he felt like that was wrong. Now, he did own slaves. I will say that. I'll just tell you, I don't agree with that. Okay, But I love his fighting spirit. Um, and you see that in, in here. He has experience. So we've got experience. But in that, we also have... And so if... if, if and I'm, I'm fine. If you, are in, if you look at that, and you look at yourself in battle and go, I've got experience. I've heard this before, Jason. And I've heard it from a better preacher than you. <laughs> to pray. Okay? I know this. If that's you, good. Maybe you're someone who's like, I've heard this before, and please stir my heart. Great. The problem with experience, though, is pride. Our pride... At one point, Sterling Price gets so frustrated with the leadership he's working with because he loses battles at Wilson's Creek near Springfield. Wonderful battlefield if you ever get a chance to go there. He loses a battle at Pea Ridge. All right. Um, or actually, I'm sorry, he was victorious at Wilson's Creek, but they still get pushed into Arkansas. Loses at Pea Ridge. And on and on there, he's frustrated. 
he goes all the way to Jefferson Davis, and he gets Jefferson Davis's ear to lobby for better leadership. And I'm guessing that through his experience, and I don't know the man enough, but through the reading, Jefferson Davis said that Sterling Price was the most vain man he's ever talked to. <laughs> so he didn't really give him much ear. He just kind of said, here's your troops, your ragtag, go do what you want to do. And so at this point, then, they come back to Price because they know he knows Missouri. They give him roughly 12,000 troops, and they say, go get them because we could use some help in Missouri. And if he's successful, great. And if he's not, he's the most vain man anyway. Who cares? That's kind of where he's at. So if you also ever feel like I'm experienced, but I'm not getting appreciated in my life, that's kind of where Price is. Thomas Ewing, Jr., Jr., his father, he's, Ewing is younger Ewing has no military experience, not much to this point. Uh, Ewing is uh, our youthful ambition. His father was a politician, a successful politician. Uh, a lot of people uh, say that he got his, pos his position through his father. He also knew President Lincoln personally, could even call him kind of a friend. When he resigns, he takes it directly to Lincoln, and Lincoln honors him because they had a personal relationship. So he's one of those guys that's not what you know, it's who you know. It's kind of Ewing. Um, but he's very ambitious. Very ambitious. You're going to see in 1863, he gets put over that area where bushwhackers are hitting Kansas and Missouri. Quantrell's raiders go into Kansas and cause a lot of havoc. And he comes up with uh, rule number 11 which in rule number 11 says that the Union can force Missouri sympathizers out of four counties of Missouri, but not just out of those counties, out of the state. And they forced thousands out of the state by military force in 1863. So he's youthful, he's, he's ambitious, he also ticked off a lot of Missourians by doing that. And here in 1863, he gets called in uh, in September, if I read it right, it was like September 25th or 26th, he shows up on a train because they're like, we got to get some help at Fort Davidson. It looks like this Confederacy is coming. He shows up with 200, way to go, 200 troops from Iowa to help defend Fort Davidson, this youthful. Now, here's the other thing I would say. If you're youthful, Timothy, in the book of Timothy, it says, don't let anybody despise you for being young. God will use you. And it's not, again, it's not a bad experience. And God does not call the equipped very often. He equips the called. All right, so who's in charge? Now I'd ask you to look about who's in charge of your own. Next slide. Who's in charge of you? Who's in charge of what your battle is? Is it you? Is it somebody else you respect? Is it something in this world? It's the world. I'm going to go to some worldly advisor to help me with this. Ephesians 1, verse 21 says, and you don't have to turn there, I'll read through these, but you're welcome to. Christ is far above any ruler or authority. Oh, I'm sorry, let me read through here. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. So this is the name of Christ. This is what Christ is. He has power. He has dominion. His name is above any name not only in this age, but in those that are to come. So, Abra Joyce prayer says, Christ is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. He is the supreme one. Not this stronghold, not the lies this stronghold has been erected on, not the enemy who has waged war against me. Christ is far above. Christ is far above. So, who is, who is in charge? Is it going to be Christ? 
Or is it going to be anything else of this world? Okay, next slide. Tactics. What are your tactics going to be in this battle? Going back to the Battle of Pilot Knob, General Sterling Price's tactic was this. I want, I want to take over Missouri. If I'm going to take over Missouri, I'm going to take over St. Louis. St. Louis at this time in, in 1864 in September had about 6,000 troops defending the whole city, Union troops. As we said, Price had 12,000. Now, he had a ragtag group. They said as many as like 3,000 of those didn't have arms. A lot of these men are marching barefoot at this point, literally. They've got different uh, rifles. Am ammunition for the group is just uh, almost impossible. How do you arm and ammunition this? But he has 12,000 of them, and he has a couple good uh, leaders going with him. And at this point, they're debating. One of them says, we need to go to St. Louis. Let's just go. Let's go now and hit them now and hit them hard. And if they had... It, 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 there's a lot of people out there that say, historians say they would have probably been successful. But others were like, we can't go forward to St. Louis and leave Fort Davidson behind us and leave Union encampments behind us that can come up from behind. We got to take Fort Davidson, then we can get... Price was questioned about this, but finally he decides, I want to take ground and I want to take Missouri back. We talked about that experience in Pride again. Plus, I'm this, I'm this Mexican War veteran. I'm sure that's still stirring inside of him. So we can, we can take Fort Davidson. We'll get in and out of there quick. We'll cut off the railroad here around Pilot Nam. We'll get on up to St. Louis, and we'll get that done. This was going to be a quick in and out happening for Price. Ewing, Ewing doesn't know what he's coming into. He knows that they're in the area, but he doesn't know how close. And like I said, on September 26, he sends out a small group that goes south of Ironton patrolling. He sends out patrols, and they encounter Price's troops right there, and they battle, and that's where the battle starts to move up by the courthouse, which your guys' courthouse is amazing, by the way, and still has uh, areas there that you can see where the battle has scarred that building. It happened right on the lawn, part of that battle, because they, they battled the Union troops all the way back from south of Ironton into town, into the uh, uh, lawn there of the courthouse where the battle happened as those Union troops had to retreat back. So what he decides to do, because part of them say, let's get out of here, he decides, some of them say surrender, he says we're going to hunker down. And part of why they say, he, two reasons they say he said he wants to hunker down. One, there were African Americans in the group of the Union uh, troops there. Some that were Union soldiers and some un, un, uh, that were civ civilians. And he was worried if they got captured, if he did surrender, that those African Americans would be treated poorly and even slaughtered. The other was, he was worried about his own neck because he knew that he had ordered uh, that order number 11 I told you about in 1863, and he's not well thought of in Missouri, especially not by Missourians that had to, had to leave their home to go to Arkansas uh, by force uh, because of, of what he did as resulting from what he, uh, the result of Quantrill's raiders. So there's the tactics, all right? Do you want to take ground in your prayer life? Do you need to hunker down? Is God telling you to move? Go into new areas? Or is God telling you, be, you are planted right here? This is where you need to be? And let's hunker down right here and let's fight the battle right here. Which tactic? I'm not saying one's better than the other there. I'm just giving you an ideas. All right, next, next slide. So our, our, our next tactic, we talked about this. Here are tactics for prayer. One, desperateness. 
You need desperateness. You see the desperateness in Price. You see the desperateness in Ewing. We need that desperateness. And I don't like being desperate. I like being in control and comfortable. But that's where submission comes from. You're not going to... We don't submit without that desperateness. That is a true tactic. The next is faith. Faith. Believing that God is greater. That's one thing. And I will say, most of the time, I can at least say that. God, you're greater. You're greater. But do I live that way? Do I live that way? I was reading a, a devotional here in the last couple of weeks that talked about Christian atheists and what the writer was saying, that term meaning people that claim they're Christians and they b- believe they're Christians, but they don't live like they're Christians. And as I read that, I'm like, oh, that's me. I'm a sinner in that way. All right? So, Faith, believing, and then living like God is greater than whatever it is. And again, here's that acronym. Other tactics we can take into prayer. Are we saying a prayer of adoration to God, a prayer of confession to God, a prayer of thankfulness to God, a prayer of supplication, which you might put on these scriptures if you choose to use some of these in your own prayer life. All right? Our next verse is from Romans 4, verse 5. It says, But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Now, again, I told you honestly, I'm kinda, I, I tend to like Price because he's a works guy. And, and in James it says, you know, faith without works is dead. It also talks about works without faith is dead. So which is it? Do I have to work and then I get faith or do I have to have faith and then I work? It is this, all right? You have to have faith. God blesses us that he gives us the opportunity to work and he uses us as tools. But if you ever get believing that your work is the most important thing, we're off base. That's what this verse is telling us. It's not my work, but it's me believing in him that justifies the ungodly, us, we are the ungodly, and his faith is accounted to us for righteousness. And then by righteousness, we can fight this battle. Again, Abra Joy's prayer says, Lord, I claim no righteousness of my own. I'm spiritually poor, utterly dependent, a beggar, but I cling to this. You justify the ungodly. This is the basis on which I pray and do battle. And again, I would encourage you to pray scriptures because whether you believe them or not, they're truth, and the more you say them, the more they become part of you. What's the blessing with what Pastor Mingi is doing as a church here? Teaching the whole Bible for a whole Christian. Okay, next slide. Uh, Psalm 4, verse 3. I love this one. We're going to come back to this one later. I love this one. David, getting ready to go into battle, says here, But know that the Lord has set apart for himself those who are godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. So the Lord sets us apart when we're godly. But I just said, none of us are godly. So how are we godly? We go back to Romans 4, 5. We're godly because we believe in him and Jesus justifies us, just as if I never sinned. Justify. And then, through faith and believing that, I'm righteous. So that then makes me godly. Now that I'm godly, the Lord will hear when I call on him. I love that. Just simple, repeating that in prayer. You will hear me when I call on you. You will hear me when I call on you. And God will answer you in prayer. He will answer you, and our pastor says this a lot at our church. He will answer us with yes. I love that most of the time. He'll answer us with no. Don't like that most of the time. Sometimes need it. Sometimes I like it, depending on the situation. Or he'll answer us with wait. I never like that one. But 
I'm getting better with weight. And I would encourage you, if you pray, you will, you will also. Okay, moving on. Next slide. Thessalonians uh, 3, 3, or 2 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. The Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. It made me think of Matthew 6.13. I always look for correlations in Scripture on how Scriptures connect, which is the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus ends with, Lead us not into temptation. A great prayer for going into battle. Lead me not into temptation and deliver me from the evil one. Abe, rejoice prayer. You are faithful, Lord, to strengthen. You will protect me from the evil one. I trust in your faithfulness. Your faithfulness will give me faith. Okay, next slide. So, we've talked about, we've talked about the backdrop of what, what the struggle is. We've talked about who's in charge. We've talked about tactics. Now it's the battle. And so often, what I thought as an early Christian, and I don't know if any of you are in this case, and I even thought this probably as a not-so-early Christian because I was a preacher's kid and I got saved at seven. Okay, so I should have got this sooner. Then I backslid quite a bit as I got to be a young man. But I thought, okay, I prayed about it, now let me go out and do it. I prayed it, now do it. Do it. The doing it was the battle. The praying was just what we did, like, let's do the Lord's Prayer before this ball game. All right? The battle is the prayer. The battle is the prayer. The work becomes the outcropping of it. And so in the midst of battle, what are things that we'll see? Well, one thing we see here that I think are relatable to just battles in general, it happens fast. Whatever it is will happen fast. So if you're praying, because again, Pastor Harrison from Farmington says this a lot. The life of a Christian tends to be like this. And I'll use this, and he says this, so it's kind of neat for Arcadia Valley. And I grew up in a valley on a farm. He's like, you're either uh, going into a valley you're in the midst of a valley, or you're coming out of a valley on a mountaintop. That's where most of our life is as a Christian. If we think, I'll get saved and everything is just going to be hunky-dory, that's not how it works. We are called to carry our cross, right? Just as Jesus. We look at Jesus' life, we are called Christians, little Christs. And in that, it's going to happen fast. If you are on a mountaintop, you need to be praying because it's going to happen fast, whatever is coming. If you're in the midst of it, you need to be praying because it's going to happen fast. An example of this, outside the battle a little bit, I'm also a school administrator. And so in 2014, I'm a, I'm a principal at a 5th, 6th grade center, and one of my teachers comes to me and says, i got a great idea. Why don't we take the kids to the Battle of Pilot Knob? That would just be wonderful. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. We're already doing Missouri history in 4th grade. It connects to 5th grade. Let's do it. That's great. And I said, now... We start talking, like, yeah, that's on a weekend, right? Yeah. And I'd never been, and I've always wanted to go, but never been. I'm like, well, I'm in. Let's go. Our main social studies teacher came to me and didn't sign up to go. So I went to him and said, hey, what's the deal, man? Why aren't you going? Is Saturday a bad day? No, I'm free Saturday. Well, don't don't you care about us teaching? Oh, yeah, I think it's awesome. You think it's good we go? Yeah, I think it's great. Well, why aren't you going to go? Well, I think it's good you're going, but I think you're crazy. Crazy for going, just crazy. Why, why crazy? You're going to take how many kids to the Battle of Pilot Knob and you're going to keep them all organized? That's going to be crazy chaos. Ah, we'll be all right. No big deal. We've super, eh, no problem. So we, I just say sign up. Whoever wants to come, come, we'll be fine. So we have four teachers to sign up. We've got 100 kids. 
That's 25 apiece. That doesn't sound too bad, right? If you're not a teacher, 25, they're fifth, sixth graders, no problem. So I'm like, hey, we talked about, listen, this is going to be, this going to be a big deal, but here's what we'll do, guys. First of all, all right, we got some, we got, uh, we got cell phones, all right? So uh, if you have anything, you got this teacher, this is who you contact on your cell phone, okay? And then we'll, we'll, uh, you can go eat when we get down there. There's lots of food. We'll just eat when we get down there, okay? So we'll use cell phones to communicate where we go. Mr. Samples got this group, Mrs. Smith got that group, such and such, such and such, you got it. One of them people in my group was my son back there, so I didn't need to lose him either, okay? So, all right, we're all good. So we get there, and the bus pulls up, and they're like, you can't park a bus here. I'm like, okay, well, you can drop these kids off, but we're going to park the bus. Where do we park the bus? Uh, two miles over that way. Well, well why? Well, we got 30,000 people here at the Battle of Pilot Knob. 30,000, well, that's pretty big, but we've been to Six Flags. This will be all right. Okay, so he takes the I'm like, I'll just text you when we're ready to get picked up. No problem. I'll be waiting. Okay. So we get in there, and the first thing I do is look at my cell phone. Have you ever been tried to use your cell phone at the Battle of Pilot Knob? Sterling Price did not send any text to his troops at the Battle of Pilot Knob, neither did Thomas Ewing Jr., <laughs> because there is no cell service at the Battle of Pilot Knob. I don't know about the valley. In 2014, the valley was not ready for 30,000 people to be here at the Battle of Pilot Knob. So now we have no communication. We're there for about five minutes, and the first kid comes up and goes, Mr. Samples, I've got to go to the bathroom. What about you, 24? You've got to go to the bathroom? No, just you. Oh, I'll just let you go by yourself with 30,000 people. Okay, five minutes later. Mr. Samples, I'm hungry. You guys hungry? No, I'm not hungry. I didn't bring any money. i got no money. I don't know. So now it's like 25 of us go someplace, or none of us go someplace. It, it, bottom line, it happened fast, and it was chaos. I'm like, oh, we got to go. I can't get the bus driver. I don't know when we're meeting. It was the worst supervision disaster I've ever had. We were looking around going, well, we got about 80% of the kids. That's pretty good. I don't know where the others are. They're in a bathroom somewhere, porta potty. Lord blessed us. We brought everybody home that we took. But I will tell you, it happens fast. And if I had it to do again, we might stop at McDonald's before we get down the road, we might bring some coolers, we would have rendezvous point. we'd have like 15 teachers, but my social studies teachers was right, it was a battle. It happens fast. The same will happen to you, be praying, because whether you're in it or not, it will happen fast. Attack in the valley. Alright, so Price has to make a decision. Now, obviously getting the high ground would be advantageous, but walking up that hillside with your artillery is a challenge in 1864, a huge challenge, especially when you're being shot at and having artillery shoot at you. So that was a struggle. Finally, from the urging from some of his commanders, he decides we're just going to go at them full bore. We know they don't have that much. We're going at them. But the problem is, and you've been there, there's 300 yards of clear field there, as well as that uh, uh, huge uh, a ditch that's there between the earth uh, fort and the wood parts of the fort they already had built there. Huge casualties they take, huge. Uh, the, the Union uh, fire artillery that has a small half-inch uh, uh, lead balls that come shooting out in the hundreds. Uh, they shoot rifles and pass them down and shoot them and pass them down to the point that some of the writing said it was almost like automatic-type weapons shooting at these men. They got within yards of the fort. They got to the fort. But they had evidently, and I didn't even realize this until reading about this for the message, they had some uh, hand grenades that they could just drop over and, and attack these men. All right, Huge casualties. I looked at, at some estimates of casualties. Um, 1,500, now that wouldn't have all been dead, 
but de dead or wounded out of the 1,200, all right, 184 Union troops. So hunkering down that day got them through September 27th, all right. Um, finding safety, which is what the Union troops did, hunkering down, taking the high ground. Price is successful in finally getting the high ground. So on the 28th, he's planning to bomb them with artillery. So that night, uh, retreating and fleeing worked for the 27th and the 26th, but Ewing knows his, day, his time is numbered. About midnight, they come up with the plan. We can try to escape. All right? So they quietly are able to escape through the Union troops. And part of this is because he had such a ragtag bunch, Price did. And they've marched all the way up from Arkansas. No shoes, poor weapons, people deserting. They were able to, they were able to get through, uh, it, which is probably God working, and in some way as well, that they're able to get through. They leave a small group behind, which got, a lot of you guys probably know. They set up a, small, a large explosion to blow up everything of value in the fort. And this is what blew my mind. Price and his, and his guys didn't do anything with that. They were just like, must have been some accident. Again, God working. Made me think kind of of Gideon and his men and how the, three, how the 300 of Gideon's men were able to win that battle. Or Joshua and how Joshua and the Israelites were able to win their battle. They blow up that, and then that group leaves and gets out. And so they get well ahead of Price's troops by that time. Finally, retreat and flee. They run. They run as, as far as they can, and they're able to... But what Price does... Now, at this point, you might say, well, let's go get St. Louis. But part of his men are like, no, we're, we're, we're our pride, we're going after these guys. They chase them all the way to Rolla, all right, again, wearing his troops down, uh, and, and taking more and more time, which gives St. Louis more and more time to solidify, all right? In the midst of our battle, again, we need to be ready with those tactics. Some verses about the midst of battle, if you're in the middle of one. Psalm 138, uh, verse 7 says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth a hand against my enemies. Your right hand will save me. I trust in your great love to uphold me, Lord. My battle is not over. I walk through the treacherous ground, yet I will trust you to save and deliver me. You will fight for me. Next slide. Jude 24, 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. A rejoice prayer of that says, Lord, you're able to keep me from stumbling. You will present me blameless in your presence. It is upon this hope I cast myself and acknowledge your authority and power and majesty. To you be all the glory and honor. It is for these things, for your glory and honor, that I ask your mighty hand to bring about victory, Lord, please, in my life. Next slide. And then Psalm 30, verse 1 says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. A rejoice prayer says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you rescued me. You refuse to let my enemies triumph over me. You are not willing to give me up to my spiritual enemies, Lord. You aren't willing to let me go. You will fight for me and complete the victory in me. 
And that's a, such a blessing, even if we are struggling. If you're struggling today and you're like, I haven't been praying, I haven't been giving things to God, God's still holding on to you. That's a truth. That's a truth that He is holding on to you if you are a Christian. And if you are not a Christian, that will get you that security. But if you want true power, if you want true power in this life, this is where it's found in battle with prayer. Okay, next slide. Conclusion. So chasing our own victory. As I told you before, Price and his troops decide to chase Ewing. Instead of going on to St. Louis, they chase, and that turns out to be a critical error. They're able to solidify St. Louis with more troops, protect it. He's dwindled down, took a, a 10 to 1 beating uh, at Fort Davidson, all right? Continues to wear troops out, have deserters leave, uh, wear his men out, and lose supplies as they go on to Rolla. They end up going, all right, so St. Louis may not work, but we're pretty close. Let's try Jefferson City. That's the capital. Let's go get the capital. They, they, they struggle there. They end up finally, as you probably, if you, if you know our, our state history with Civil War battles, they go to Westport there in Kansas City area, and he, and he ultimately meets his greatest defeat. His troops have to flee Missouri. They go so far down into Mexico. And another reason why I kind of like Price, I'll just be honest, He's got a John Wayne movie after him, if you look. If you know John Wayne movies, uh, the movie The Undefeated with John Wayne and Rock Hudson about this Confederate troop, uh, troops that will not give up the war. They're down in Mexico getting ready to come back and fight, and they're going to take over. That's based upon price because that's where they go down and uh, avenge, but that, that doesn't work for him either. He gets pretty sick, ends up coming back to St. Louis, and years later he passes away in St. Louis, and, and price is buried there. But the conclusion, are we chasing our own victories? Is that what I'm trying to do in prayer, or am I really praying for the victory of God? I go back to what my wife was, was kind of saying in prayer. Am I thankful in this, even if I lose what I think is a loss? You know, we were talking, Steve, little Stephen here, I'm sorry, not calling you little Steve, but Steve, uh, Steve Persley and I were talking about Jeremiah and why I like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was constantly losing in my in world's eyes, but there's these beautiful things in Scripture to call us to victory. If God's getting victory, and God gets a huge victory through Jeremiah the prophet, am I strong enough that if that's my calling, that I'm not going to just chase my own victory or really pray and be thankful there? St. Louis is reinforced and never taken, but what is our spiritual conclusion here? Okay, next slide. Colossians 2.15 uh, says, Having disarmed principalities and power, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Triumphing over them in it. Abra Joy uh, goes on there, and she gives a few other scriptures, but says, according to your word, Lord, my enemy has been disarmed and embarrassed. Now, that doesn't always happen in our time. That's a hard one for me as well. Eventually, our enemy is going to get embarrassed. If you haven't read the end of the Bible, you can jump ahead. I'm missed, Pastor Mingi will let you and be okay. And if I, Revelation is a challenge to understand, but you do understand, at the end of it, you get we win. Christians win because Christ wins. He is our victory. All right? Uh, he has been overruled, mastered, rendered powerless, and his works have been destroyed. Now, so often I'm like, but not in this world, God. He's still powerful. That's not true. In prayer, in true prayer with the Holy Spirit, there is no victory in this world for Satan either, if I claim that truth and truly believe it. All right? I speak these truths into the stronghold in my life, in my family, 
in my loved one. Lord, I speak this truth where lies have prevailed. It is lies. It is lies from Satan that there is no victory for you in this world or no empowerment in this world. All right, next slide. This one I would like you to look up. All right, it'll be our concluding verse. I'm going to give you one more, but you want to look it up. Philippians, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. The ultimate conclusion of this battle of prayer is here. And a powerful verse to pray on or put in your battle room for prayer or put in your Bible for prayer or put in your study journal or what, whatever you use for prayer. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, him being Jesus, and giving him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I confess the Lordship of Christ. I renounce all other gods and ungodly deeds, and I bow to the headship and the authority of Jesus Christ alone. The end result, if a true victory is had, if I get myself in line truly with Christ, and I'm Christ-like and I'm in God's will. Okay, next slide. So I wanted to conclude with this, all right? Um, the leadership group at Parkland Chapel, Pastor Mike often gives us a book to read, and we'll go through that during, during a, a season, and then we'll discuss it and try to use it in leadership. The book that we just finished is a book by Jim Cimbala. It's called Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. Uh, Jim Cimbala is the pastor of uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. It took me about two chapters before I put it together. I'm like, where have I heard that? The Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. If you've ever heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, that is his wife who started to help lead that church. And in his church, their biggest calling, he finally figured out, is not him giving great sermons. It's not even great verse-by-verse, uh, chapter-by-chapter, book-by-book Bible teaching or whatever other calling, which is a wonderful thing that we have here at Calvary Chapel. All right? And I've been a part of Calvary Chapel now for over 10 years. I'm such a believer in studying the Word. Even as a teacher, I'm a firm believer in studying to help influence life. But he figured out that's not even the biggest calling for what we're here for. He said that the biggest calling for what we're here for all right, is prayer. Prayer. Charles Spurgeon again says, you know, if you want to see the true growth of the church... Come to prayer meeting. Don't come to Sunday morning. Don't even come to a Wednesday Bible study. Come to prayer meeting. Then you see what that church is really, really about. So he made a point in his church, and Brooklyn Tabernacle was a little beat up, no money, no attendance, drugs, crime, bigotry and hatred, sexual deviance area. And his wife is like, we cannot live here. We cannot raise our kids here. We have got to get out of here. But that's where they were planted, and he felt called that the change is prayer. So I just wanted to read to you just a little bit, and we'll close with this. All right? Um, and it says here, um, it says one, it says that if we call upon the Lord, he is promised in his word to answer, to bring the unsaved to himself, to pour out his spirit among us. If we don't call upon the Lord, 
He's promised us nothing. And I don't see that anywhere in Scripture where it says, I'm going to get all these wonderful things answered if I don't pray. It does say God's going to hold on to me. It does say he's going to protect me if I'm a Christian. But if I'm sitting there going, I got no power. I'm not seeing this person healed. I'm not seeing this addiction go away. I'm not seeing this sin in my life go away. I'm not praying. God doesn't promise me anywhere here. It says this is the engine that will drive our church. Something else I wanted to share with you here is this. this, He titled this chapter, The Greatest Discovery of All Time. And I'm taught for time, I'm going to move forward quickly. But what, I don't think he's trying to demean any other part of church, which is very important. But this greatest discovery is coming back to this, and it really humbled me. When you think about worship, you know, we didn't invent this at Calvary Chapel. And we didn't invent worship at whatever church you came from before you came here. Or, uh, Christians, uh, even, uh, 2,000 years ago, did not invent worship. It goes back so much more ancient and in us human than that. And it, here it says here, uh, the greatest discovery of all time, when he really, Dr. Simbola, the pastor, really figured out this is what our church has got to have. Page 53 of the book, if you ever get it. It says here, it goes back before Christ, before David, and even before Moses organized formal worship with the tabernacle. The first mention of prayer occurs all the way back in Genesis 4, 25, verse 26. And it says there, Adam lay with his wife again. She gave birth to a son named Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And when I first read that, I was like, where's he going with this? Why is he putting in this Adam with his wife and then they have another son? There was death. There was pain. There was hurt. All right, the first real death and murder that we have of Cain and Abel, that is what birthed prayer. So if you were in a battle, that desperateness is where it stems from. But notice it says, then at that time, men, and it means people, began to call upon the name of the Lord. I'm reading from the book again. It says, think about that. Until then, people had known God mainly as creator. He made the Garden of Eden and the rest of the world as far as their eyes could see. Now came the beginning of the first collective relationship with the Almighty. Before a Bible was available, before the first preacher was ordained or the first choir formed, a godly strain of men and women distinguished themselves from their ungodly neighbors by calling on the name of the Lord. Cain and his posterity had gone their own way and decided they will be independent of God. By contrast, these people affirmed they are dependent upon God and God and by calling on him and calling out to him. In fact, God's first people were not called Jews. They they, they were not called the children of Israel. They were not called Hebrews or Israelites. In the very beginning, their original name was those who called on the name of the Lord. On some unmarked day, at some unnoted hour, A God-placed instinct in human hearts came alive. People sense that if you are in trouble and you call out to God, He will answer you. He will intervene in your situation. So what I would call upon you today with this is call upon the name of the Lord. If you are in a battle, that's simply it. The battle is in prayer. Call upon. It's, it's, It's even more ancient than any other thing we can try to teach 
here at, at this. And I was hopeful we'd have some time to pray, but I've talked too long, so we're not. So I hate those where the talk, 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 prayer, and you never pray. But maybe something, I pray that something will stem you to pray. And one last thing I will say, and I was very guilty of this, and I don't know if this is you. I felt terribly uncomfortable praying publicly, especially in a group, all right? Other people would pray, and I, it's private. It's about me and God. That's me and God time. Yes, it is about me and God. And if I'm praying so Steve hears me and thinks, well, that's really awesome, or my wife hears it, or anybody else hears it, then that is idle prayers. But I don't know how often I've had it where someone has said, yeah, will you pray about this? You know, we're in the grocery store. Or I'm at school. I'm not supposed to pray in a public school. Hey, will you pray about this? Or, or whatever. And if I stop and say, yeah, can we pray right now? Are you okay with that? I have never, and maybe I will, but I've never had somebody say, well, no, not right now. No. And there's a power there. And if we get together to pray before church, there's a power there. And if I hear, and I've gone to church with Dave and Mandy for a long time, if I hear Dave Talley calling out about something in his life, my heart changes. There's a unity between us. We may be different guys. We may not hang out in any other situation, but we love God. And we also love hunting and a bunch of other things. But we love God, right? And there's a unity there. When Mandy prays, there's a unity there. And so then next week, I'm like, how's that going? I've been praying about that. Little Dave, how's that going at school? I've been praying about that. And there's a love. And when he cries, I cry. And there's a unity in that. And we don't get that power if we don't call upon the name of the Lord. Christian first and then call upon the name of the Lord. So I would just encourage you guys, please, uh, uh, be, let's be a church that prays. And when I say church, I mean all of us. Not just, but I, I, what, what is the battle of Pilate Knob now? You guys know, I don't, but let's pray upon the name of the Lord. Let's end in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you that you put in our hearts, as it, as it said there in, in, in Dr. Symbola's book, there's something innate in our heart that, that urges us to call upon you. Uh, and I pray maybe some words today, Scripture today, stirs that up in the folks that are here. It stirs them up to go, Lord, I, I, need, to, I need to communicate with my Father. I need to be talking to my Father. I need, I need to listen quietly for my Father. I need, I need that. And that scripture and worship and, and fellowship like the, the fish fry and all these things lead us into prayer, Lord, with you. So please, Lord, help us. Give us a heart that burns to pray more. In Jesus' name, amen.